glad to see you in dramatic pause church today um, because I know that probably some of you are glad that we have two services because just like me, you haven't quite got this daylight savings thing figured out. And some of you thought you got up at the right time and you went, oh, I'm late. Oh, they have a second service. I'll just go to that one. So there's a phrase that you can remember during daylight savings times, right? Does anybody know what it is? Because I get it messed up. Okay, so I heard spring ahead, fall back, or spring forward, fall back. And so some words just mean different things to some of us, right? And uh, so back in the 80s, uh, when I was really having a problem with this, it's because of the language of the culture at the time. And so spring forward would be like, there was this phrase that, that people said in the 80s, it's jump back, you know, and it meant like in the 90s, that meant shut up, you know, and then really what it meant is no way. Like somebody says something to you and they surprise you and you jump back. So when I got spring forward, I would think jump back and I would sit there laboring over where my clock was really supposed to go. And I think that's before they had the automatic ones. So um, then fall forward. The other part of that is it's fall backwards. See, but I fall forward. I'm always tripping over things and falling forward. And so I just, this, it's the most stressful night of the year really for me is the night before daylight savings. Because my wife has got it figured out. She's already gone to bed. And I'm like trying to get the most out of the night. Do I have an hour less or do I have an hour more? And then what does that look like on, ah, so... It's in the 80s. I'm down in Sacramento, and I'm supposed to speak in church the next day, and I'm really just trying to get this right. So I, I say the thing to myself a couple of times, and then I try to figure out, okay, what do I do with my alarm clock? Did I have it right? Whatever. And then the alarm goes off, and I pop up, and I go, I don't want to be late. So I jump in the shower, and I get out, and I get dressed. And, and I look out the window, and I go, man, it is dark out there. Daylight savings. Okay, so that's okay because we're saving the daylight for later or something. And so I, I jump in my car and I, I get to, to the office, to the church, and I, it's a big church and there's a big patio in between the buildings. And I'm walking around and go, there's no one here. You know, and after walking around trying, all the doors are locked. And I'm like, man, did the rapture come or something? And then I saw the custodian and I knew at least the two of us were left. And so I went over to him and I said, what's going on? Where are all the people? And he goes, why are you here so early? Because I went the opposite direction of what I was supposed to do. And not only was it dark and just getting light, but everybody else wasn't going to arrive for at least two more hours. And so the best way for me is Mickey's big hand is on the 12 and Mickey's, I don't know, you know, but finally this week in the newspaper, there was a picture and it showed you the clock in black, and in red, it showed you which way to move the hands. <laughs> so I, I got that out. I saved it. I, you know, I put it by my... And then I went, okay, so this watch doesn't actually do that. So I changed it to where I thought it should be, and then I allowed my cell phone to figure it out for itself, which it did. And I said, so I'm just going to make sure one of them goes off. And then I wake up, and it's light outside. And I, I'm like, uh-oh. And I pull out my watch, and it's like 7.09, and I set it for 7.30. So I grab my phone really quick, and it says 7.06. So I was within three minutes. That's probably the best I've ever done. Thank you. 
Um, also, uh, just about Josh not being here today and being on camera, he's a little embarrassed that during No Shave November, he didn't have a full beard by the second day of the month. So we had to do the video, and he's off on vacation growing that puppy out. So, uh, And then also, the only one thing I want to add to the announcements is about next week. And I'm going to pretend like you heard it and absorbed it, and it's also in your program. But the one thing that he didn't say, and, and maybe some of you with small kids are, are uh, confused about this or concerned about this, is, is that I'm up again next week, and the message is only going to be 20 minutes long. And there's going to be a special 10-minute feature just for the kids. We're going to get the kids up here, and they're going to participate in part of the message. When I say kids, um, I don't mean your age, so don't worry. I know you're like, I'm not going up there, Dad. Okay? So... Uh, the, the younger kids are going to be up here with me for a while, and the whole thing, the whole message time will be like 10 and 20, so we'll be good and we'll be out of here, but mainly just to have everybody together to worship. So um, let's do this. To kind of bring us back to where we've been going, um, about a month ago, I think, when Randall spoke, he gave us a list of who I am in Christ, or who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ. And so we're going to put a, the list up, and I've worded it just slightly differently. So go ahead and put it up so we can see what we're talking about. Today I'd like us to... Um, read these statements together, and they all start with, in him or in Christ, I am. So as you say this out loud, I want you to hear um, who you are in Christ. And so backing up just a slight step, in Christ, okay, um, I believe that God created, that he sent Jesus, like it says in John three sixteen. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So in Christ means that I have decided that I believe in what Jesus did for me. I've uh, received his forgiveness in believing him that he died and he was buried and he rose again. And now I am in Christ. That's a basic definition of what we're talking about here. So being in Christ, as you hear yourself say these statements, it should bring a smile to your face. Not maybe on everyone, but probably on most of these because these are really the benefits of being in a relationship with Christ. So let's read these together. Like uh, in Christ, here we go. In Christ, I am a saint. In him, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. In him, I'm holy in his eyes. In him, I'm chosen and adopted into God's family. In him, I am an heir of God. In him, I am free from the penalty of sin. In him, I am forgiven. In Christ, I am one of God's own people. In him, I am alive. In him, I am loved. In him, I am saved from sin and death. In Christ, I am God's masterpiece. In him, I am a new creation. In Christ, I am near and dear to God. In Christ, I am reconciled to God. In Christ, I am a fellow citizen with God's holy people. In Christ, I am the temple where God lives. That's who I am in him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the benefits that we received by being in a relationship with you, with your son. And God, as we um, think about these things, uh, maybe they've gone by too fast, and we just need to stop and just consider the benefits we have by being in a relationship with you because there's some things on this list that when we're having a really bad day and we know what you think of us on that bad day, 
um, it'll bring us a smile to our face. I pray that we would learn to be grateful for the things that you have already done for us, the person that we already are, that we're growing into, and you already see us there. You see us as your masterpiece, and we see ourselves growing into it. But on the days when we don't feel like we're moving in that direction, you've already said you are my masterpiece. And with that in mind, I pray that we would um, continue to be thankful for what you've done for us, and that would change the way that we demonstrate that in our actions and our words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, last week when Josh was going toward the end, I was thinking, you know, you got to stop because my verse is 5-1, and I've already got plans for that. But I just in the back just waiting to give him the timeout sign, you know, because he was getting really close to it. And then afterwards, I said, thanks for stopping there. And he goes, yeah, I just kind of ran out of time. I was going to go two verses into your passage. So he said, because that's really where it ends. And, you know, he's kind of right. So I'm going to go backwards two verses into his passage and um, explain why verse 1 is actually there. There's this word, therefore, in 5.1 that refers to what's already happening. So we're going to just back up a hair to uh, Ephesians 4.31 and 32. And uh, I'm going to start there. Um, it says in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Let me just stop there for a minute and ask, do you know who Paul's writing this to? The church in Ephesus. So when he says these things, he's talking about church people. Let me read that list again. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So, so here's the deal. If we're going for unity, and this is really the theme of Ephesians, then what does this kind of behavior produce? Does it produce unity? What does it produce? Division, right? It, it puts up a wall between people, and people start... I, I like that brawl. I don't like that, actually. Brawling. You know, he's talking to the people in the church in Ephesus. So I'm going to back up to one of his other writings where he was speaking to a church that was obviously having lots of problems, the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul opens a passage about the Lord's Supper or communion, um, we, I don't know if we go and read this part very much because we're just, you know, okay, here's what you do when you take the Lord's Supper. But prior to that, in the same chapter, uh, verse 18, Paul says this, In the first place... I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And I think he means there, the ones who have God's approval are the ones that are doing it right. So who are those doing it right? It's the people that are imitating God. How do I know that? The next two verses tell me that. So let's look ahead. Um, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And here's the, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we have Jesus and God put forth as our example of how we should treat each other. Not this way, but this way. And this way, the right way, is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. So why does he have to say that other verse to the church? Because I think this is it. Unity is not the absence of conflict. Okay? Unity is 
in how we deal with conflict. Does that make sense? All of us have conflict in our relationships. You know, just let's just admit it. They're not perfect all the time. We see things differently with our husbands or our wives, with our kids, with other people that go to church. But when the conflict comes, there's a way to behave about that. We're going to talk about some of that. Um, so here we are at five one. Be imitators of God. Let me just stop there with this imitation thing for a minute. Because several years back when there used to be a little taco van on Ninth Avenue, um, it was the really good taco van. It was there like probably 2004 or, or before it was there when I came and I heard about it. And I started going there and you'd get a taco, a street taco for a buck. So I could get, you know, like $7 worth and be really happy after lunch. And they even had picnic tables out. It was so popular. And then they put a little cover over the picnic tables so you could sit out so right across from La Roquita. And now it's a vacant lot. There used to be another trailer there, but it wasn't as good. Sorry if you were the owner of that, but it just wasn't as good. But I'm sitting out on the picnic table one day eating by myself my seven tacos. And um, I noticed that there's uh, a football player and his wife who I, I know him and he knows me, but we're not like really close friends. They're having their own conversation um, about things. And I'm just not meaning to eavesdrop, but uh, Curtis was kind of loud. And so um, I, I, I'm listening in on this conversation. And um, he and his wife are talking about uh, the Crusades. And she was from a Catholic background, and he asked her the question. He said, so what's the deal with the Crusades? Is, so Christian people were killing off the other people who didn't believe in the way they believed about God? He goes, that doesn't sound very godlike. And you know what? That, I have never forgotten that statement. Uh, because he was a guy that I would have liked to have said, you know, that's, God's not like that. This is people out of control, you know, claiming to be uh, God's people. And, and as I thought about that, I thought, is that how people see followers of Christ? You know, that's not very godlike because people are watching uh, us who claim that we follow Christ. And so I have a question today. Who are you imitating? And here's some ideas from this video. I'll lay it on the line for you. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I want to be a man, man cub, and stroll right into town and be just like the other men. I'm tired of walking around. Oh, ooby-doo. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. You see, it's true. And they like me. Can learn to be human too. Sometimes I dream that he
Yo, that's my silk shirt, man. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I figured since I'm going to be like Mike, I might as well dress like Mike, you know. I mean, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Pow! Huh? You're sick. So, see, something is wrong with you. Yeah. You have a problem, and you should have yourself checked. Yeah. So King Louis wants to be like a man and possess the fire, and there's a whole lot of people that want to be like Michael Jordan. It doesn't take just drinking Gatorade, as much as that commercial made you think that. Um, so who are you imitating? Who do you want to be like? Um, the, the second part of that verse, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And really, don't children learn by watching? You know, uh, there was a song back there in the, I don't know, 80s, 70s. Um, uh, it kind of went like this. My child arrived just the other day, came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. And then the kid says, when are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. And then he says, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And then he walked away, but his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man. I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad, and I know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So if you want someone to imitate, let's imitate the person without the flaws. Let's imitate God. Let's imitate Jesus. And uh, here's some verses. I'm not gonna, you're not going to have time to flip to them. I'll give you the references. If you want them later, just email me and I'll give them to you. But several ways that we can imitate God. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here it is. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And that attitude included these three words, humility, sacrifice, and service. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, it was last week, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. And really, we can come up with a whole bunch of excuses of why we don't have to forgive people, right? Because they hurt us more than we hurt them. Uh, because they did something, and we just can't forgive that. And, and we have all these excuses why we can just ignore 
God saying, hey, forgive. Um, so here's some things about that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then in verse 5, it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And here's the one I like. It keeps no record of wrongs. See, God is love, and God keeps no record of wrongs for those who have been forgiven. There's something to imitate. In Hebrews 8.12, he even goes as far as saying, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And some of us have a list, don't we? That we carry around in our back pocket or in the back of our mind. It's like, yeah, I said I forgave you because you apologized, but the next time you do it, you know I'm going to bring it up in all the instances where you did that. God keeps no record of wrongs. He remembers it no more. So we imitate God. We can start letting it go. First Peter 4.8, says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And you know, sometimes as a parent, you have this tactic to squash all arguments from your kids. And it's two words, no and because. Anybody ever use those? Uh, your kid comes up and says, hey, I'd like to do this. You say, no, why? Because. Because why? Because, oh, I never would have said that. Because I said so? Who are you? I'm your parent, and I get to call the rules anyway. So, so there's this idea that then we could just cause our kids to rebel by saying no to everything and not giving them a well-thought-out answer for that because that takes way too much time to think out a really good reason why I said no. I just don't feel like letting you go because you'll have more fun than I'm going to have tonight. And I'm just going to say no because, and then we're done with it. I might even end it by saying I'm through talking about this, which I could hear myself saying a couple times. So one time when one of my kids, I can't say their name or I have to pay them money for speaking about them in public, but um, one time when I was talking to one of my kids, he had this idea and he goes, hey, I'm going to go do this tonight. Well, I said, no, you're not. Why? Because... Because why? Because I said so. And rather than getting mad and going and doing it anyway, he went into his room. And about five minutes later, he came out with a plan. And he said, okay, Dad, can, can we just talk for a minute? I said, as long as it's not about that. And he goes, well, I want you just, could you just listen to me for a minute and let me just talk to you? And he was very calm. And he said, okay, so this is something I'd really like to do. I realized I probably approached it wrong by telling you I was going to do it. But let me just pitch this idea. Um, and he gave me the steps that he would take. He told me when he would be back. And he said, and I will be back by that time. And I went, okay, sounds like a plan. And then the next day when he was back and he did everything he said he was going to do, just like he did, I, I complimented him and said, I'm really proud of you for going right through my barricade, which was ridiculous because I know I said I will never do that because I got told that all the time. And so we learned to reason through things. And that began to work out. And you see, this idea of love covering a multitude of sins, um, I got forgiveness. Um, and when we think of this in terms of what Paul said about this church a minute ago in Ephesus, and probably we could connect ourselves or our picture to that description, even as people in church, I have some questions for you to consider. Pull out your card and write your answers on the back and give them to me afterwards. First question is, what are you holding against others in the church? I was just kidding. I don't want you to tell me. 
this is just for you. I just want you to think about this. Um, is what you're holding on to, is it really that big of a deal? Is it really that big of a deal? What if God held stuff like that against us? What would it look like to just let go? Because, as we said last week, sometimes forgiveness is more for us than for the other person. You know, the other person's going to need to figure it out and admit to what they've done and, and apologize for it. But really, when we have unforgiveness towards someone else, like Josh was saying last week in that passage, it stirs up bitterness. And then that begins to affect everybody around us. For me, it will internalize and I'll have a stomachache. I'll actually feel ill or anxious or whatever. And so sometimes forgiving is just us saying, before that person even comes to me, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. And then that takes it off of me and really puts it back on them. This is what it looks like in the area of these to uh, imitate God to imitate Jesus. And then finally in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now I'm going to move on to uh, verse 3. And in verse 3 it says, uh, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. Let me just pause here for a minute because I know I'm stepping on some toes here um, because I think we all have this persona that we would never do any of these things, but somehow um, they work their way into our lives. And I think rather than go into detail on each one of these things, let me just tell you what Paul's solution is right here. I like this. Um, rather, thanksgiving. So instead of doing all of these things, how about just being thankful instead? Because honestly, when we're thankful, we don't start wanting what other people have. We don't start wanting what we don't have. We don't start calling other people out for their mistakes. We don't start letting the stuff that's in our heart boil to the surface and come out of our mouth if we're just thankful. So being thankful can change really our whole attitude about all of these things on the list. So replace these things on this list in verse 3. Replace these things with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why? Uh, verse 5, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person. By the way, such a man is an idolater. Uh, that means they're just putting other things in place of God. Um, those who are, uh, sorry, uh, no moral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And in verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things... God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, so therefore do not be partners with them. And I really think I've got to stop and clear this up a little bit, because I want to take this word partners for a minute and, and break it down. And then I'm going to give you another word, which is to associate, and I'll break that one down. We talked about this a little bit back in July, but I need to bring it forward because I think it really fits here. Um, God is speaking out against people that have a practice of living in the ways that are described. And he's suggesting, Paul is suggesting that by changing the practice to being thankful, many of these things would go away. But he also warns that those who continue in all of these things will have no part of his kingdom. And it's a place that we just don't want to be locked out of. But then as he says, therefore do not be partners with them, um, what does that mean? Does that mean... 
we should not hang out with anybody that doesn't believe what we do, that anybody doesn't read about, or we see them doing anything on that list, we just cut them off? I don't think so. Um, so let me describe these words. Partnership, um, the Greek word in this passage indicates that it's talking about someone who is a co-participant. It's talking about someone that is a partaker in the particular sin. So I'm misbehaving with that other person, and we enter into a par- partnership he says, don't be partners with them. So I'm going to go back to Psalm 1 because I think it breaks it down even a little more clearly. In Psalm 1, 1 and 2, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. Okay? So you'll have joy, you'll have peace, you'll have happiness if you don't hang out with these people. But really, hang out isn't the right word, so I broke that down. Walk in the counsel of the wicked means to follow or behave like. So in that context, when you walk, you're following or behaving like them. Stand in the way of sinners. goes a little deeper. To confirm what they do and to linger with them around what they're doing. Now you can probably fill the temptation building. And the third one is, do not sit in the seat of mockers. And the sit is to remain, to settle in with, and the other word is to marry. Okay? So there's a progression where there's temptation, and then there's interest, and then there's following, and then there's imitating, and then there's agreeing with, confirming, and hanging around too long with, and then remaining and settling in that like a marriage and that's partnership in those three forms. And then finally, that the psalmist says, but instead they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on, on it day and night. So let me switch to association for a minute because it's a different word, but it comes up in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. And uh, it shows up in uh, chapter 5. And Paul is saying a lot to this church, which has uh, many things to correct. They're just misbehaving like crazy. They're letting things go. And at the end of this chapter, in verse 9, he says, When I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or unbelievers who are greedy, or unbelievers who cheat people, or unbelievers who worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. So now there's a different direction. And he clarifies it by saying, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. God will judge those on the outside. So if you find yourself looking down on the behavior of some other people, rather than jump all over them or criticize them for that, that's what God's here for. God's here to take care of that business and decide who's doing what they're supposed to do, who's really believing in their heart. Because a lot of what we see is just on the outside. And you know what? I think we could all raise our hands and say we mess up once in a while. Maybe some of the things that we do have larger consequences than others. And they become more visible because of that. Uh, But we're pretty good at hiding the things that don't show up. More about that in a minute. Uh, Then in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, uh, Paul says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong... Again, I think this is as a practice, as a normal way of living, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So don't fool yourselves. Those who are involved in those sins, uh, he lists them again in that passage, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. 
That sounds pretty harsh because maybe you're like, man, I feel like I'm kind of on that side right now. Does that mean I'm out? Well, listen to this next phrase. Some of you, those people in the church, some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Like we talked about at the beginning. Those who believe in what Jesus did for us are in Christ and all that list of benefits begins to apply now. Not when we're all cleaned up now. Because it says in Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were all cleaned up and perfect. And I think most of us are still working on that. Okay? Um, so, so here's how this breaks down. In partnership, we are being influenced. In association, we become the influence. We do not benefit by being in partnership with people who will not inherit the God's kingdom. But we benefit them by associating with them and introducing them to God's kingdom. Because that's how we once were. We were out. And now because of what we believe about Jesus and what he's done for us, we're in. And all that list applies. And that was just the first three chapters of Ephesians. All right, so let me switch gears for a minute. I'm going to talk about light and dark for a minute. It's the next in in verse 8a. And it starts out by saying this. For you were once darkness. Notice you're in the dark, not me. What are the things that we try to get away with in the dark? Don't answer. I don't want you to expose yourself just yet. What are the things that we try to get away with in the dark? When no one's looking or when we think no one is looking. Paul suggested immoral Sexually immoral, impure, greedy, obscene. Um, He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And then in verse 13, he says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it's light that makes everything visible. So, you know, like, why do we have to go through an x-ray machine and get searched at the airport? Some people have something to hide, and the x-ray brings it out. Um, God's got built-in x-ray. It says in Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who t- to which we must give account. So here's a question. Whose cell phone just went off? No. Um, Here's a question. What if we could see with God's eyes what people are doing in the dark? What would that be like? Oh, really, you guys? Okay. I mean, nobody said kissing was bad, but in church, really? Okay, thank you. Wow. Uh. Uh, excuse me, young man back there. Where do you think you're going? You know, it's a sin to leave while I'm talking. Get back in your seat, please. Yeah. All right. Hmm. See, you know, people think they're getting sneaky here in the dark. I bet I can find someone sleeping in the front row. Hey, wake up, buddy. We got another hour to go. Get up. Come on. 
All right, all right. Hmm. You know, I, I know like this morning there was an announcement about we need some more money and I don't know. There's 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 good ways to do that and get that and there's others that, others that aren't so good. You know, I just hope we don't find anybody in the audience digging into somebody else's wallet. Uh, sir, is that your purse? No? Okay. I, why don't you hand that back to your wife and... Yeah, thank you. Let her decide whether she's going to help us out with that giving. See what I mean? Church on Sunday. Wow. All right. Well, um, it goes on to say in verse 8b, but now you are light in the Lord. All right. So live as children of light. It says the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. That is why this says to people like Austin, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What does this mean? Um, I went to Romans chapter uh, 13. I want to read you this little verse from the message. It's Romans 13, 11 to 14. Um, it says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. So be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work that he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence in sleeping around and dissipation in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. And today, we can add to that list of who I am in Christ. I am light. So as light, we shine on the people around us. And here's a big question then. Whatever you're doing, however you're living, answer this question. Are we trying to blend in with the world or are we trying to bring people into God's kingdom? Because the answer to that question will tell us what we're doing and how we're behaving. Are we trying to blend in with the world or are we bringing people into the kingdom? It says you are light, so shine and light up the darkness. Now for everybody who's feeling a little bit guilty, maybe you did start writing on that card and you're afraid I'm going to find it. Um, I got to go back to my college years, 21 years old. I came to the point in my life where I thought, okay, I've been brought up in the church. I know what to say. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I've gone through this time of really like rebelling against it. And I came to a point at 21 where I said, this needs to be something I own. If I'm going to go this way, it needs to not be something that I just picked up on the fumes of my parents' faith you know, or the church that I went to, I need to own this for myself. And I made this decision to, um, to dedicate my life back to following Jesus because I should and because I wanted to, not because of what anybody else thought. And almost immediately after that, I felt like, man, I am sinning now more than ever. And it was really starting to bother me. And so one night I was at a, a Bible study at these people's house and there was an older uh, godly woman there that was the mom of the guy. And I just said, hey, can I talk to you afterwards? I, I just, you know, I need like somebody older with some more experience to talk to you about this. And I just said, so here's the deal. I just feel like 
I haven't been doing anything for God, and I just recommitted my life to be serving Him and living for Him. And now it's like, man, I sin now more than ever. And she said, wow, that's good. I said, that's good? She goes, yeah, it means you're sensitive to what's wrong in your life. You haven't grown callous to it. And I'm like, okay. So uh, the Bible says that when you become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in your life. And one of the things he does is remind you of the things you were taught. And and that's kind of what's happening to you. Because if you start doing that same list of things and you don't care anymore, that's where things are going to get bad for you. It's, it's called a calloused or a hardened heart, and you never want to be that way. That's where you just shut it off and, you know, I don't care anymore. It starts affecting everybody around you as well. So be thankful that God is revealing to you and making you sensitive to sin, and then remember that you're already forgiven in him and just move forward. Um, in closing, I think in these last three verses, there's a bit of a summary. Um, uh, verse 15, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And I love this next phrase, making the most of every opportunity. I see this on the prayer cards of football players every week. Help me make the most of every opportunity. And that's just in football. This is something we all should be thinking about because, as it said in Romans, our time is short. The days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. So don't waste opportunities. And really what we should be doing now is living like the light is always on, like it is now. And really, if we get that about God sees everything, then the light is always on. Um, Live like that and we'll stay out of trouble. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't just know it, but understand it. And then do it. Um, Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Josh, just before he left, wanted to remind uh, me to tell you that the verse says, don't be drunk with wine, so I guess beer is okay. Um, You can ask him about that when he comes back. I don't know if he was joking or not, but you can ask him about that when he comes back or send him an email. um, Better yet, today. Um, Josh at nwhills.com. So, but here's what I think that passage is really saying. Just that one verse, be not drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The issue isn't really wine. The issue really isn't alcohol. It's not about what you put into your body. It's about who or what is controlling your life and your actions. So let me ask you, when you were drunk with wine, were you in control? Do you know what a DUI is? Driving under the influence, which means the influence is what's in control, right? And yes, you may have been under the influence of spirits, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit, was it? So I'm going to suggest we should be busted for LUIs, okay? And that's living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what this verse is really saying. Choose who's in control What's in control? Um, As we go into a time of communion, you're not in danger. It's grape juice. Okay? You'll get that if you read all of uh, 1 Corinthians 11 later. Um, But um, this is a time we remember what Jesus did for us, how we became in Christ, um, all the benefits that come with it. Uh, Maybe it's a time to just check in with him and go, 
yeah, all these things I've been thinking about that I'm doing wrong. Mm, there's a reason you're bringing those to my mind. Right, let's just get this straight and walk out of here remembering that we are forgiven and that we are alive in him. And uh, there'll be an opportunity to uh, worship in song and worship in giving. Um, let's pray. God, thanks so much for, uh, again, this list of benefits that we have for being um, in you, being in relationship with you. And uh, let us not take that lightly. And God, for those of us in this room that might be feeling some guilt, there's reason for that. It's not a bad reason. Um, it's because you're trying to get our attention and get us back on the right track. I pray that we would be people that would desire unity with each other, even within this building, that we would desire to imitate you, especially in the area of forgiveness, because that would cover up all kinds of mistakes that the rest of the people are making. If we could just love like that and forgive like that. Um, I pray that we would strive to know what's right, to understand it, and then to live it out. Uh, and that we would really get today what it means to be light and to not be dark. And to realize what you've rescued us from. And that we will begin to practice being people um, that are in you and shining our light um, to the rest of the world to bring them into the kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.